Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Today I wanted to talk about health services. You know, the health industry is, is really something in our face these days, and everyone wants to know what's going on in the healthcare industry and how does that affect us and our health. And so in that industry, we really want to have leaders who are doing it right. And so I wanted to hear from someone that I knew was doing it right in leading an organization. And so I reached out to someone who's been in an organization for 20 years. That's doing it right in the first place. In making a difference, leading within a huge global health services organization. So Lamont Thomas is the president of Cigna Health Service Company for North Texas and for Oklahoma. Now you may have heard of Cigna. But for those of you who haven't, I want you to know that it's a global health services company that traces its roots back 200 years. And Cigna is listed as one of the top best companies globally and was one of the first companies to offer expatriate and global medical insurance plans. And they still are a leading international provider. They're all about these things improving your health, your well-being, and a sense of security. That's something we all want. And they do this through 45,000 employees that serve more than 95 million customers worldwide. So now I want you to hear some wisdom from Lamont and how he leads so effectively in such a large organization and he's held so many roles. Lamont, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome, welcome. <laughs> I, um, I know that you have held a lot of different positions in your, tw is it 20 exact years? You've 22, this? actually. It goes so fast. 22 wow. in February. 22 years. I'm just curious about the journey. 22 years, first of all, that's something in today's workplace when people are job hopping more than ever before. So it says a lot about Cigna and it says a lot about you. And so tell us how that journey started. So, so Valerie, it started back in Arizona and human resources actually. When I say human resources, people look at me like, human resources, market president, how is that connected and what's the journey? And it was a jagged journey. So in human resources, the opportunity I had there was really to understand what we were trying to do as an organization, but really focused me on people focused me on how important of, uh, the people were in our strategy and in order for us to achieve the success of the organization, really investing in people, getting the right people, getting the right opportunities to develop those individuals, and also getting the right tools for leaders to lead those individuals. So I went from human resources, then I went into a sales opportunity, then into sales operation, moving to Dallas and then relocating to Richmond, Virginia to take a sales uh, VP position, and then 2012 coming back to Dallas as a market president. 
so you were ingrained with the people side of the business. But you told me early on also that that was ingrained in you even as a child, the interest in people. It was. It was from my mother who really talked about you're going to meet people every day that know something you don't know. And the joy of life is really understanding those individuals, understanding their story, understanding um, just viewing life through more than just who they were, what you saw on the outside, whether they were from a race perspective or from a gender perspective, but really going, turning the pages, so to speak, and really understanding their story and their journey and there's richness in that. And then also finding a way in your life to be a blessing to other people because not everyone will have the things that you have. And even growing up, you know, we grew up not knowing we were poor, but mm-hmm. when you look back, you're like, we were pretty poor. But you also I had my mother was one that says, even though I have only this, there's someone with less than that. So she would always try to help a neighbor or mm-hmm. take, you know, buy uh, potatoes and split it off so that neighbors would share share with neighbors. And she had a house full of boys. They were so and growing boys. But it was always a place that she found to help others with what she had and sharing that with others. So really instilled in me the value of people and the richness of their story but just as importantly, the responsibility you have to your neighbors. You know, so often things uh, that are ingrained in your, in your own personal value system come from, from childhood. So how does that relate now in the work that you do out in the community? So it, it works great, especially with Cigna and our mission about helping individuals improve their health, well-being, a sense of security, but also building healthier communities. So it's all about giving back in a way that is really focused on that individual. And we always talk about personalization, understanding that individual, not a broad group, say, of diabetics, not talking about diabetics, but really focusing in on an individual, say, Joe, who has diabetes, what's going on with him, how do we make an impact to that individual? And then, so it fits perfectly into the way I was raised and that whole idea of giving back and, and helping others on an individual level. So it really helps as a, to have an organization, and that's why, why I've been there 22 years, um, because the mission aligns with who I am uh, as an individual, authentically as an individual and my beliefs. It matches well with the organization. And then it just gives me in this role the freedom in a community. Uh, you talked about Cigna being global. Um, but it's really when, we, when I try to bring to life and we bring to life, it may be global, but we're local. There you go. And what does it mean for Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma, and the markets in which I, you know, I am responsible for? What does it mean here to be engaged in the communities? What do the communities need? Who are the community partners on a local level? Well, you know, so um, when you talk about your area of responsibility and then Cigna globally, I was going to ask what you think is the differentiator with Cigna. What, what's the secret sauce that Cigna has that's, uh, that's different or better than competition? Now, you're probably bracing yourself for me <laughs> to say something that's going to be so, but it's really focused on the customer. We have an unwavering focus on the customer, and those 45,000 employees have a focus on the mission. 
they really get up every day, come to work. How can we bring our mission to life and impact the individual? Everything we do is about that customer. Back to where I talk about personalization, really what, is it, what does it take for that individual to engage in her health and to want to do something different and allow us as a health services company to provide those supports to meet their health goals. That's pretty special. So as a leader, how do you keep people motivated when when people are coming from different backgrounds and may have different motivations and you want your employees to stay and be engaged so how do you how do you keep them excited to come to work every day I try to focus on our employees is that they bring their authentic selves to work I love that. and allow them to do that and realize from a diversity and inclusion perspective that it's a responsibility as a leader to embrace where they are and understand how bringing their unique gifts and their unique views and vision as to things, the way we address things, bring that to the organization as long as it's all about the customer and improving their health, well-being, and sense of security. And I think that helps create a rich environment, an environment that's reflective of the diverse customers that we serve in the community here. And it allows us to stay, what I'd like to say, fresh, because you're always looking for an idea and a different perspective in which to look at things versus uh, what I'd like to say, staying inside your laboratories or your echo chambers and with everyone looking and thinking the same way and you're thinking and talking about ideas and you're hearing the echo back saying, and then you walk out, that's a great idea. You go to a diverse market and they're like, who is that for? So I, that's why I think it's what we try to do and I try to do as a leader is encourage people uh, to do that, bring their authentic selves and, and, uh, to the job, but also create a work-life balance. That's critical because if there's something going on at home, address that. I mean, we're a team, so someone will pick that up, but if you're not addressing that, you're bringing it to work and you're distracted. So I'd rather you address the go, you know, stay at home, work from home for the sick child mm -hmm. than to come to work and then you're thinking about that sick child and who's going to pick up the child and things like that. It's really creating that balance and uh, allowing people the flexibility. Absolutely. That's that sounds like best places to work to me. You know, um, when you think about a balanced work life, there are so many people who say, oh, I'm so stressed. I have such high expectations from my boss. Um, you've described you as a boss. If I came to work on the first day at Cigna and you're my boss, what, what would that look like? So the, one of, the first thing I tell you, don't call me boss. I get so uncomfortable. <laughs> I really do when yes. people call me boss. And why, why that is, because it creates, an in my mind, uh -huh. an artificial barrier between me and my team. So I really want, we're all part of a team. And yeah, we have the hierarchy, but I only serve, that hierarchy in my mind serves a purpose internally that allows me to get resources that they need to do their jobs effectively and deliver to what we promise our customers. So it's really bringing individuals in and sitting them down saying hey tell me more about who you are what are your interests tell me about your family tell me about some of your hobbies and really get that and, and then reinforce that we operate as a team here and I want you to have balance in your life and then I want you I tell people this and we chuckle I say don't become signatized oh, and, way I really? say, and why I say that is because back to I want you to bring your authentic you and view to the organization we have enough people that think like Cigna 
we want to think more like the market. We want to think, and you were hired for your insights and for your skills. So don't, so bring those and keep those in the forefront of when you're engaging with your your team because and we're, and focus on your strengths. I always tell people. You know, if I tell you to work on your weaknesses, like most of us, we're like, yeah, they're there. I don't have time for that. I want you to operate on your strengths. And where you're weak, say it's building spreadsheets, as an example. <laughs> yeah. There are other people that love to build spreadsheets. Not so me. there's people on my team that build spreadsheets and others that do other things. So, You know, that goes to the work that I've done for so many years now on personal branding and, and ironically, a lot in the health services industry. And I try to make that point that if you come to a place where you're comfortable in your own skin, where you really know what your personal brand is and what you bring to the table that's unique, and that's what you're Absolutely. saying, then you're more likely to have, to feel comfortable having a point of view and talking in a meeting instead of, oh dear, I might say the wrong thing or how will this be viewed or will they think I'm silly or so everything you said is is doing it right Lamont decision making I'd like to ask you about that as a leader you have to make decisions every day and how have you learned to make good decisions I think sometimes I'm still learning well, <laughs> but no sure. um so as for work-related, because it's a little different when it's personal versus oh, work, yeah. um, I try to, first of all, listen to really make sure I understand what we're trying to achieve, what's the challenge before us, and get different perspectives, but also with a lens always on the customer. What does this mean for the customer? What does this mean? And that's the question we always ask as a team. What does this mean for the customer? What, does it make it easier for the customer? Is it more helpful for the customer? Is it building trust with the customer. So we go through a series, and I go through those same series, but I challenge my team through that series of questions when making decisions. And if it's focused on the customer, it's the right thing for the customer, it makes the decision easier. But also, I, we, I think about, and I tend to say we because as a team, we try to orient the way this way of thinking as well. We try to make decisions on and I, we, decisions yeah. based on, okay, is it something that we can make a decision and if it's not right, we can quickly adjust? Or is this one of those, if we make the decision, it's all in and there's no adjustment there? So that's where we kind of, that's where I kind of go through that process and before I come to a decision uh, on a, a make a decision. Sometimes it's collective, but quite often it's, me at the end of the day having to say let's go let's do this um, but realizing that most of the decisions we end up making are ones that we can adjust along the way so it's not those situations that we're going to bankrupt the company or it's something that extreme but it's always those things that you can adjust along the way based on the information you have and as you get more information adjust clear focus on the customer absolutely absolutely um, so I know that you um, learned a lesson early on about uh, being a perfectionist. <laughs> so for those of us, I can't say I'm really a perfectionist, but I like to do things right. But I'd love for you to share the story about your hobby with trains and what you learned about world isn't perfect. 
Absolutely. from that gentleman. Absolutely. So I've always wanted to, I'm fascinated by model trains and layouts and wanting to, it was always one of those things I told myself, when I retire, mm -hmm. when I retire, this is going to be my hobby. And then one day, several years ago, while living in Virginia, I said, well, why am I deferring that? This is some fun stuff. And so I went to a train show. And the train shows, you can get a little intimidated because you walk around, you're seeing layouts, and they're beautiful layouts. And when you say layouts, you mean the... The tracks, the tracks, and the, and the scenery, and okay. the cars, and the lighting. Sure. I mean, it looks like a real picture, piece of of a, a community. Uh -huh. And you and you look at it and you're like, wow, and they're so beautiful. So I was asking the one uh, older gentleman. I said, how do you get this so perfect? And he looked at me and said, as if he was like, what am I talking? Like I was talking a different language. And I said, no, really, I'm about to get into this hobby, and I want to be like you. I want to be able to do these things right and perfect. And he told me to go outside, and I was like, okay, well, he's blowing me off. Go outside, <laughs> leave me alone. But it was more of, he'd say, no, really, go outside, spend a couple moments looking around, come back, and I'll tell you how I got my perfect layout. So I did that, came back in, and he asked me the question. He said, what did you see outside that was perfect? And it made me pause, and I saw things out there, a building with a broken glass, and I saw the grass overgrown, and things like that, everything you would not think about being perfect. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's, that's it. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. This is a hobby about you enjoying it, it doing it the way you want to do it, and it's all about the satisfaction of the journey and the process. When you're trying to seek perfection, it takes away from the excitement. It becomes work and is not satisfying. Don't bother doing it if that's what you're trying to do is seek perfection. I, I love that story because I was told by someone a few years ago that uh, he was an avid golfer. And I said, well, do you, where, where do you play golf now? And he said, I don't, just like that. I don't. And I said, why? And he said, because I don't have time to practice, and if I don't practice, I'm not good enough, so I just don't play. That's too bad, right? Right, it is. It, it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. We all need to have hobbies. Yep. Any other hobbies that you have now? Um. I don't know if you call it a hobby, but it's one of those things that um, over the years my youngest daughter and I enjoy doing, and that's going to vintage, store, vintage stores, thrift shops, uh, estate sales. Yeah, um, and it all started when they were younger. My three kids were younger. We do things like go to garage sales, and they would be fascinated by how much they can buy with spending so little. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of evolved. And the two older ones, they got older, and they're like, ah, we don't want to do that. But my youngest hung on longer and it was our daughter's son a uh, father-daughter time uh -huh. really we talked about things and we had the, uh, the the fun of the the hunt and then we find something and we talk about what we found and excitement and so that kind of stuck with but what it ended up doing and it was not by design but it happened but I'll take credit for it okay is it taught them the value of a dollar first of all uh -huh. because each one of them are financially responsible with their money uh, avoid debt now I always say that to my wife, I'm glad they got their father's jeans instead of their mama jeans, who likes to let money go. But and we joke about that. But it's really I end up teaching them life lessons. Mm -hmm. um, but it also it's a bond that we have that we look back 
back and we talk about and it's just that the time you carve out at doing something together versus you know watching them and you're sitting on the sideline just watching them in a, in a sport nothing wrong with that but for us it was just that time together two of us driving around then deciding where to go eat and then just talking about the things we found or and things like that isn't that fun yeah and her biggest joke is that when we go to an estate sale she says i do multiple laps around the estate sale <laughs> before she gets frustrated with me she's like would you make up your mind just get it and i'm like well i gotta think about it so it's but the joy it's, of the hunt exactly but it's our joke that's great i always ask guests to uh Give us their lessons that they've learned, and I'll ask you this too, through the years, your pearls of wisdom, whatever you want to call it. We call them teachable points of view because as a leader, you are teaching other people to be leaders. That's what leaders should be doing. And you mentioned several, if we can go over some of these. Um, what comes to your mind as a teachable point of view? Then you're, the, whatever you do, it, you need to be intentional about it, and that which tells that you have focus and that there's purpose in what you're doing. Uh, I think that's very key, and, and and there's a certain level of passion around when you're intentional about what you're doing. Um, and also a level, of, a sense of, of being mindful uh, in a way that... Um, you're thinking, you're doing a lot of thinking, and you're, and you're understanding that what the what you're saying or doing, the impact it has on an individual uh, when you're being mindful. And it also causes you to do one thing else, to listen. In order to be mindful, you really have to listen, listen to people, listen to what's going on with the intent, intentional focus of understanding versus where I think we've, as a society, has moved to more of trying to be understood. And I think that's pretty key, being mindful and intentional about your efforts and what you do. And, you know, that leads to, um, you were talking about how we tend to go home, get in our car, get in the garage, and disconnect. You mentioned something about stay connected. Well, it is. And we, at Cigna, we did a uh, loneliness index study. And what we found is that, uh, in generationally, the 18 to 22-year-old Generation Z, is they're more lonely and disconnected than what you would think would be old seniors. But they're more lonely and feeling of disconnected than seniors. Really? Even with technology. You would think with technology that with Facebook and all these other uh, social media things that people were connected. But there's lost sense of community and where there's a shared interest, where there's interactions, where you know your neighbors, you know your neighbor's kids, there's contact and conversation versus a text or a tweet. And there's really that type of interaction is missed because people do. They drive in their garages, go in their house, and then, you know, they, in the backyard there's the eight-foot privacy fence, and there's right. really, and you unplug. Uh, where before there was that community that you had that you sat on the front porch and you talked to your people, neighbors. Real exactly. People. You went out to the park with other kids and played in the park. Um, I do sense that there's a loss of that in our in our lives today, and it's sad to see that with the with the youngest of us not feeling connected and lonely, and just the missed opportunities that I think we as society have 
to, to, to with as a result of that, and they as individuals have as a result of that. Result of that. Result Techno of that. Excuse technology me. can be good, and it can not Absolutely. be not so good. Is this study something we could find on the internet somewhere? Absolutely, you can go on. You can go on Cigna.com and get okay. access to the study. I'd like to do that, and I'm sure some of our listeners would too. You mentioned um, a couple of other things in uh, talking about that everyone has a story. And you mentioned that you get to know people when they first come to work and hear about their personal lives and their story and so forth. Um, tell us about when the lady came into the lobby and you happened to be there and her story. So we have people that uh, obviously come into our company for interviews, mm -hmm. and I try to speak to everyone, no matter what, you know, who you Where are and what are. you do. So I have a tendency when people, are, I see them sitting in a certain area of the lobby, I know they're there for interviews. So mm -hmm. I'll go over there and ask them, hey, are you here for an interview? And they'll say yes, and I'll say, good luck, bring your, bring your best you to the interview, do it well. And, you know, if, if they have faith, I said, all right, you've already prayed for this, so accept that this is your opportunity. And really just spend that time with people, making them feel at welcome and at ease. And so I did that, and then um, recently one of the employees was hired, and I saw her in the cafeteria, and she came up to me and said, do you remember me? And I can't lie and say <laughs> I did. It was like, sort of. vaguely, help me place you. And she right. said, I was in the lobby, and you were the only one that spoke to me, and you wished me well, and I got the job! And oh, she was so excited that she got the great. job. But it, but she felt welcomed, and she felt like someone believed in her. Mm -hmm. And I do, and that's just who I am. So it's not like it's something that you know in my job description it says go do. Mm -hmm. But I really it's because you, you we've all been there, yes, sitting in there have. waiting for the interview, right. all worked up, all tense, and Nervous. and anxiety levels are high. Mm -hmm. And it was just a way to say it's going to be okay. Just br bring you to the interview and it's going to be okay. You know, the fact that um, you were interacting just at that moment, but the fact that you interact, period, as the president, someone at that level that would take the time with anyone is, is pretty amazing. But there's also a benefit to the organization when it comes to engagement. I heard a keynote speaker recently who works with major corporations and CEOs of them. And he made the point that he says to these CEOs, almost every one of them that he works with, he says, you know, do you know what's going on in your organization? And they'll say, well, sure. And then he'll peel the onion back and say, so what's going on? Right. And pretty soon they realize, often, that they really don't know a lot of what's going on. And so he makes the comment to these CEOs and says, get out of your office. Go down and do some of the things you're talking about. Talk to people all the way down the organization. Make yourself visible because only then will they, will you know what's going on. And if you help people be comfortable talking to the CEO or the president, they'll feel more engaged. So there's a 
honestly, there's a return on investment for companies if they'll do that. So thank you for all of that. You're Lamont, absolutely right. It's just been a real pleasure to have someone at your level talk to us about some of these basic things and also just how special it is that you're with an organization that is just so much like you. Of course you've stayed 22 years and probably will stay many, many more. So um, I appreciate it for you being on and, and we'll continue to stay in touch and hear some of the other stories that that are going on in, in Cigna. So thank well, you so much. I appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing with the show. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. And until next time, I want you to do what Lamont said, and that is you be the best you can be. And Lamont actually quoted this. I'll read, if I can, your quote. You said, be the best you and we'll become the best us. So until next time, stay authentic, exude your executive presence, and stay tuned to the next podcast. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.